What's up, mamas? It's Tanika Ray. I was a television host for 20 years before my entire life blew up when I had a baby. Shifting gears from red carpets to a gig called Mom required a whole new game plan. The carefree, globe-trotting boss babe me was suddenly in search of a mommy tribe to help me navigate the inevitable fumbles and fails of raising a kid. Mama's Day with Tanika Ray is a sanctuary for the Mommy Collective, where we amplify our self-love and self-care, trade tips on raising conscious kids, help each other fine-tune our boundaries, and celebrate the highs while forgiving ourselves for the lows in the wild, 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 wild world of mommying AF. Welcome to Mama's Day with Tanika Ray. I'm so honored that you are here. Do you say, I call you Mamuna. Is that not right? right? That's fine. Mamuna, Yousef, or Mumu Fresh. Yep, both are are perfect. Of course I want to call you Mumu Fresh because that is like the dopest. That's how I see you and picture you at all times. Where did that name come from? Uh, It came from being on tour with The Roots, actually. Black Thought started calling me that on tour. It just stuck. Raheem Devon started calling me that. And then just like it became like an industry thing. And then I I made it into my Instagram handle. And then when the tiny desk went viral, it was like, you know, I had to change everything in my career to Moon Fresh then. So it just well, what were you going by before that? My Moon? My, my birth name, yep. I'm not mad at it, but Moomoo Fresh yeah. <laughs> kind of <It's> everything. <laughs> Please tell me you wear Moomoo's because I'm the queen of them. You know, what's funny is that me and my one of my designers for the merch line that we're developing, we have been talking about developing a line of cool moo-moos. So, yeah, <laughs> that's coming. <laughs> that is coming in it's the future. all about wearing. I mean, I'm just a, I'm such a fan of it. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a mood. It's a vibe. Come uh-huh. on. <laughs> I don't care what they say. OK, I was telling you before we did a little sound check that I saw you on Instagram. This is the place where I like to find people who I cling to, other women who are doing it, other women that resonate. I just feel they're free because free is huge. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not everybody's free. This is true. Free, unapologetic, who see themselves, love themselves, express themselves fully. And you just were like screaming off of my phone. So I'm Thank so you. honored to come across you and to find out. And I, I reached out to you. I'm like, you're a mom, right? I just felt mom energy. Even uh-huh. though you, do not, you do not post your child ever. Yeah. What is it like being in this crazy industry, being a mother? So much of my journey has been characterized by my motherhood journey. So much of my music journey has been characterized by my motherhood journey. For one I got pregnant the year I was nominated for a Grammy on my first international tour. So it was um, very life-changing for me. It was a a turning point in my life where I had to make a decision. I very much resonate with the song Zion when Lauryn Hill talks Mm. about that moment, you know, when everyone in her professional life was telling her, it's not a good time, don't do this, you know? And she's like, yeah, but it's not up to you. You know, this is my journey. This is my spirit. This is the spirit of the person that I'm I'm just going to carry on my legacy. And not everybody gets that. And, and they don't have to get it. It's, it's not for them, you know? And so I listened to that song over and over again. You know, I sought counsel from people like Erica Badu, who I was already kind of seeing 
them carry their success and their motherhood really, really well. Because none of us know how to do this, you know, but I, I knew that when I felt that love inside of me, you know, just emanating and vibrating from the inside of me, I was like, nah, he does like this spirit deserves a chance to be here and to fulfill its own destiny here. And so whatever that's going to mean for my career, then we're going to we're going to figure it out together, you know, and his whole life has been that he's been my greatest friend you know, he tours with me. He's toured with me his, his whole life. He runs my merchandise on tour now. Like if you ever come to my shows, you'll, my son will be the one that's selling merchandise. He, you know, has almost become like a business partner. He reads over all of my contracts because I want him to understand the business. I want him to understand legal language, like language that people will use to confuse you and trick you out of your just doing your worth, you know, and I mean, and I, I've had the conversation with him young about knowing your worth, standing on your your value and your purpose. And then I love the fact that now he's he gives it back to me when we when we go over contracts and I say, well, maybe maybe we'll just, you know, we'll compromise this one time. He'll say, oh, mommy, no, 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 no. We compromised on that last month. We're not compromising here because, you know, and, and he'll make really good like business points. It, it makes me so proud to see how he's grown and developed. You know, you can imagine the naysayers when you tell people I'm going to take my my five year old on an international independent tour, you know, is all the conversation around kids need to be in one place. They don't need to move around. And I'm like, tell that to all the kids in the, in the Kalahari Desert, like tell it to the Bedouins, tell it to the nomadic tribes who survived thousands and thousands of years and they didn't live in the same neighborhood and go to the same school. So <laughs> we've had an unconventional life together and I love it. Because I love who he's become because of it. Well, let's let's be really real. Who's to say conventional is the best way to go? Because the way we live in America and the education system doesn't really favor us. We see the police system doesn't really favor us. Who right. who cares what is traditional? I'm starting to think we're all seeing the, the facade crack a little bit these days. Yes. <laughs> and people like a Miley Cyrus grew up on concert tours. There's so many people that have done it and it's game. We have to stop saying that non-traditional ways of growing up isn't just game. The same way I see Jay-Z may have got his grad school from the streets. It's still legitimate. Absolutely. It offers a way for your child to think outside the box, which is what brilliance is, right? Just, I love what he thinks is possible for himself. You know, I think that's, that's the beginning of, of creating an abundant, beautiful life is feeling like you can. And because he's had so many experiences that tell him, yeah, I can. Sure. I can have that. Yeah. You know, like I think, cause I work with a lot of young people, you know, I go into school systems. I, I've worked throughout the K through 12 college students. I've worked in the prison system. And I think what we struggle with the most, especially young black children is self-esteem is the feeling like we can't, you know, we, we hold ourselves, our self-limiting beliefs hold us apart from all that we can be and do. And so I love that. Like there are moments when I, when I'm in different countries and I'm, I I experienced it through my own eyes and then I experienced it through his eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm seeing the way he's taking it in and what he thinks is possible for himself when he can, you know, like his, like now he's in a public school, he's in an engineering school and his teachers love him. The administrators love him. And I asked him, um, I was talking to his attendance counselor and she was saying like, oh my God, I love Masai so much. He's so amazing. 
And I was like, I said, son, the attendance counselor was just raving over you. Do you, you see her often? Like, why are you at the attendance counselor's office? He's like, oh, yeah, during lunchtime, you know, I go around, talk to my teachers. You know, I hang out at the library. You know, I talk to attendance counselor. We just chop it up about life. I was like, what? Oh, why? You know, and, and they're just like, he's so amazing. And, he, you know, because he can have these really mature conversations with them because he's had su- such a wealth of, of experiences in his, you know, little short teenage years. But you know what else is behind that is the fact that you put him in situations where he had to evolve. He had to shift. It's, I do the same thing with my daughter. I never talked baby to her. I always spoke to her like she was kind of grown. And now she'll be like, so mommy, I was having feelings the other day. And I'm like, whoa, but you know what? We are giving our kids a head start. Oh, I see kids that are my, my child's age who are like still being babies and I don't, and their parents are like treating them with kids. I was like, y'all, we don't have time for that. At all, at all. I posted this on Instagram the other day. Like, you know, I'm always like, <laughs> my son's a straight A student. He's on the principals, iron roll. But what I am the most proud of is his emotional intelligence and emotional maturity. Yes! You know, like I love hearing him. Like he'll come to me and talk to me about things going on in his personal life and his friend group. And I love to hear how he's like deciphering everything and in the part that he plays in things and he's taking ownership and responsibility, holding himself accountable. And then he'll tell me what the other person did and how he thinks he's going to rectify it and what he thinks he needs to do in the future to grow. And I'm just listening to him. Like, I don't even have to like give him a lot more, you know, than, than what I've already given him because I see him putting it to practice. Like a lot of the self-help tools that I have used myself in I use them to parent because I use them to parent myself first. And then I use them to parent him. And I'm seeing him take those tools and really apply them. And they really work. When he was um, probably like three years old, I decided I was never going to pop him again. I didn't want to hit him. My family is from Mississippi. So you can imagine the slave whoopings. Okay. <laughs> we got the slave whoopings. Post-traumatic slave syndrome. But it's it, it's there. It's infused in our lineage. It just is. And and we'll conflate it with like black parenting. No, it's post-slave parenting. Let's not take that on. That's not our culture. That's our trauma, you know? And so when he was um, around three, I stopped popping him because it was making him so tough to the point that he would look at me like, hit me. I don't care. I had to sit back because I remember when my older brother was about the age my son is now and in Baltimore City and he the first time he was approached to carry dope for someone and be a runner for the dope dealers. And he was already bigger than my mother. There was no amount of beating and slapping that was going to stop him from making the money that he wanted to make, you know? And I remember thinking like, I have to make sure that my opinion matters to him by the time he gets bigger than me. I can't beat you into submission, nor do I want to. I want to have a conversation that is intelligent with you and reason with you. You know, I want to create a financial economy for you, which is why I have him running my merch. And, you know, he's a business partner. He gets 20 percent so that by the time if that ever happens, that's not attractive to you selling, you know, running packages of dope or whatever else people are selling. It's not attractive to you. You don't need it. You don't want it. And you and I can have a very transparent and honest conversation about why that's not a good idea. I don't have to beat you into submission because I'm so afraid for the world to swallow you up. 
I remember thinking that as a child. I remember thinking it again when my son was a child. And I said to him, okay, I'm not going to hit you ever again. Because the truth is, I'm not hitting you just because you're doing something bad. I'm also hitting you because I'm frustrated and angry. (laughs) My life is difficult. And so, you know what? I can learn how to manage my emotions better. That's what I can do. I can manage my emotions better so that I don't have to take my frustration out on you. And what we're going to do is sit and talk. And I actually took time off of work at the time, like three days to sit and talk with him and tell him how this new system was going to work between us and that we have, we're partners. We got to respect each other. I'm going to respect you. I need you to respect me. There are rules in order for this to work, right? You like to have a, have a home and food and clothes. Well, in order for that to work, this has to work. And so we have to work together. We know we don't harm each other. We don't um, we don't disrespect each other and we're going to support each other. We're, we're team players. This is a team. And, you know, it took a little while, but he got it. And once he kind of got into gear, I really didn't. He became so self-corrective after that point. I really didn't have to say a lot or do a lot after then. Like we had conversations. He got it. And we moved on. Look, bravo to you, mom. And and I think we also don't realize, too, how much resentment a lot of boys hold for their mothers because they don't want to say it. And I, I'm, I, I can only speak because I have a boy, you know, talking to other men about their moms. Like they love their moms, but there's a lot of resentment about how much they yelled at them and, and, and beat them. You know, even my son, I remember one time, even after I stopped putting my hands on him, he said, hey, ma. Can you just talk quietly to me? I can understand when you talk quietly. I don't I I, I can't take the yelling. If you yell, I can't hear you. You know, oh. and at this time he was probably about like seven. Wow. You know, I had to I give me I'm gonna go take a walk. <laughs> I'm gonna go take a walk. Give me a minute because what you're saying has logic. I can't hear you in this moment because I'm upset. So give me a moment. I'm gonna go take a walk. I'm gonna think this thing through and I'm gonna come back and we're gonna talk. Yeah, and I've had to I've had to change that because he doesn't like it. He don't he he's not receptive to me yelling, you know. And I grew up in a house with a lot of yelling, and so I had to learn like that doesn't work. And he feels he feels violated, and and you know it's offensive to him. It it makes him shut down. And so that if that's not what I want, if I want to get across to him more than I want to prove my point or just continue behaving in the way that I'm accustomed to behaving, then I have to you know I had to I had to change that. And so. We have a quiet house now. We we have to talk to each other quietly. Like he's really changed um, so much about my personality because I, I love him so much that I want to be a better person for him. So I don't wound him because I'm wounded. I don't want to wound you. And it's honestly, it's changed even because initially my mother used to, you know, have a, and I, I love my mother. She's absolutely incredible, but she definitely had a, a, some things to say, like, mm. You know, like this is white parenting or this is like now she she doesn't say that anymore, you know, because I think she felt like, you know, he kind of got a lot to say, you know, <laughs> he sure does have a lot to say. Like, But how beautiful is that to allow our kids to have a voice because it, it, does, it doesn't stop at our homes. It allows them to go out into the big, bad world and express themselves with clarity, right? With confidence and to get the things that they want out there as well. It's. It is the way to do it. And I understand what you're saying. My, my mom, I, my mom and I aren't as close as probably you and your mom. And I just knew that I wanted to raise my child differently than the way I was raised. So I do it by showing her, not directly, just doing my thing. My child is loving. My child is smart. My child. So it's adjusting everybody in my family because they're seeing the results that it works. Yeah, it's true. And, and my mother has, her relationship with my 
My son is different now, you know, because I've had to have the same thing. Like, okay, you all have your own relationship, but these are my rules. He can't be beaten. It can't happen. You know, if you're not able to communicate with him, then you have to talk to me and I'll talk to him. But there can't be any physical violence. It can't happen. And so, like, you know, it really changed their relationship. They have a much better relationship. And I, I was surprised, you know. I'm appreciative, I'll say, to my mom because I know that was difficult for her because my mom had me when she was almost 40 and me and my son are closer in age than me and my mother are. So it's like generationally it's different. Like kids are in her generation to be seen and not heard. You're not supposed to have a voice. So I do really um, applaud her for, you know, stepping out of her generational training and being able to see it a different way. I love how you started and said, none of us know what the hell we're doing. We don't. No, no, we don't. And but I tell my son that. <laughs> I tell him all the time. I say, look, hey, I don't know. You, so you tell me we're going to see if this works. If it doesn't work, we're going to try something else. Especially balancing like the demand of being an independent artist and not having a big team and not having a budget. The best thing I could have done is involve him in my business. Otherwise, like I, I would feel like I wasn't really hands-on enough with him or connected with him if he wasn't a part of everything that I am. Because I feel like so many artists, their kids resent them for choosing the music over them. Oh, yeah. Or choosing whatever their business is, right? Because it's it's all, it's time-consuming. It's all-encompassing. Your whole being is your art. It's true. And it's so difficult when you're Cause like I've chosen a path that is against the grain. So it's going to be even more difficult for me to get ahead because, you know, I don't do like, you know, sex driven music. I don't do like your typical radio trap stuff. Like, you know, I'm really, I love jazz and, and I've been in every kind of band imaginable Congolese bands, Afro beat bands, rock bands, funk bands. You know, I really love black music. I'm a writer, like, a, a thinker like so so that makes all of those things make life increasingly hard being an artist especially when you like to think and you're a woman oh my god forget it forget <laughs> it it's worth it to me because i grew up muslim you know and i didn't have any representation the closest thing to something i could identify with myself was lauren hill i feel like young girls deserve to have a, a myriad of different expressions they deserve to see themselves when they come from different communities, you know, and in particular, a lot of a lot of Muslim women are discouraged from doing music because it is so overly sexual. And so they don't get to see themselves and they don't get to express their art. They don't get to just see themselves reflected anywhere in society. And I think it's really unfortunate. And I think coming into the music industry when I, I first got signed when I was like a teenager and it was a constant struggle because they wanted me to make more, you know, sensual, sexy music. And for me, I just felt like I was an academic, you know, I was a straight A student. I had so many things I wanted to talk about. Like I'm a fan of Stevie Wonder. I felt like, man, Stevie Wonder has so many different topics. He has music to live to, to die to, to get married to, to be born to, to, you know. And I was like, that's what I want my catalog to be. I want to write a song about everything. Things you think you can't write a song about. I want to write a song about it. And it was like, there was no space for that. There was no space to think. We just need you to write a song about being in a club, seeing a guy from across the room, getting drunk, you know, having sex with him, going home, uh, you know, falling in love, him cheating on you, of course, <laughs> because men are of dogs. Course. And then, yeah, and then here you are lonely again, brokenhearted. How come you can't keep a man? And I was like, what? I didn't know. I, I, I want to write, a, I was writing songs about genetically modified foods. <laughs> 
like, no, you can't talk about that. And I was like, but that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about GMOs. I want to talk about student loans. I want to talk about Hilarious. our birthright. I want to talk about, I had this song about like a, having your period for the first time. Like I, I, when I, my son was born, I wrote his birthing story into a rap song. No. Like, like that's what I found interesting. And it was like, oh, you're never going to make it. <laughs> Oh my God, I think that's brilliant. Okay, what do you call yourself? Like, how would you, how do you describe yourself, right? You're more than an artist. Who Mm -hmm. are you? Oh man, I'm a humanitarian. It took me a long time to want to say this. I'm a healer. (laughs) I am a person who loves to see my people well. I promote wellness. That's what I can. And, And it took me a while to realize that because I was doing everything. Like I was reaching those Point. You know, I was I was on the Grammy board. I had been, been Grammy nominated. I'm on red carpets. I'm, you know, I'm at the Oscars. I'm doing all of this stuff. And it doesn't feel the way I thought that it would feel. And then I took this missionary trip and went to Central America to talk to young people about the femicides that were happening with these women's bodies being dumped by the cartel. And it was the most fulfilling thing I'd ever done in my life. It made me feel so alive and just so almost orgasmic, you know. To, to know that they told me when I got there, hey, you know, set your standards low. There's a language barrier. You know, they don't really like Americans coming here, critiquing the machismo. And so there's all these things. They're like, it's fine. We'll pay you anyway, even if you're not effective. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not what we're going to do. Music is effective. We're going to figure out, we're going to connect. There's a resonant frequency that we're going to connect and we're going to touch the heart inside. We don't need to speak the same language, you know? Music doesn't need words, period. And when we left there, girl, we was in there shouting and crying like it was like full on church. And they were like so amazed. They said they've never had that level of participation. They've never had that kind of interaction. And it was just God in there. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is why it's so hard for me to to fit in and do the other stuff. I can't just play along to get a radio single because I don't care about that. I care about changing people's lives. I care about helping people dive deeper inside of themselves, touch a place inside of themselves that's real, that lets them know that they're more than their experiences, more than this moment, more than your circumstance. And I was like, when I, when I, I was there for like a month, when I went home, I was like, yep, yep. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> it changed everything for me. Because people, you know, I, I, God, I connect with you so much. Ooh, I know we're not born on the same day, <laughs> but you just sound like uh, more than just my physical twin, like just yeah. spiritual twin, like everything. Ooh, I get goosebumps <laughs> because, you know, I spent a lot of time in Hollywood trying to bring my light to that world. And I kept going, why does it not feel the way that I thought it was going to feel? It is nowhere near even sitting here with you. Nowhere near even doing my little podcast. Nowhere near when I put Your big podcast, my big podcast, yep. thank you, thank you, sis. <laughs> nowhere near when I put women together to discuss institutionalized racism. That is fulfilling. That yeah. feels like I'm doing something. Talking to Gwyneth Paltrow on a red carpet. All right. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. It literally feeds me not at all. And then you start to like hate on yourself. You start to disintegrate your love of what you do. And that's a dangerous place to be. So 
first of all, just so many props to you for being present enough to see when you're starting to not feel good. Oh man, be bitter. You know, I, I wrote a song called Let Go Your Bitterness, Baby. <laughs> and you know you gotta give me that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let go your bitterness, baby. Let go your bitterness, baby. That shit ain't fly. Shit ain't fly. It ain't fly. Oh, let go your bitterness, baby. Let go your bitterness, baby. So you can fly. <laughs> you know, oh, the that's best- one of the talents God did not give me. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. Now, the, the, I mean, the... the probably the best compliment I ever got, right? The first time I performed that song in Harlem, a sister came to me after the show. She said, I had to wait and come talk to you because I had to tell you, I didn't know who you were when I came here. My girlfriend asked me to, you know, come here with her. So I did. She's like, oh, you got to see this artist. I'm like, "Eh, all right, whatever. Fine, I'll come. She said, I walked in this building a bitter bitch, but I walked out a better bitch. (laughs) And I didn't even know I needed it. You know? And that was like, that was a moment for me. Like I wrote it down in my journal because it was like, yeah, I felt fulfilled. Like I was like, that's that's why I wrote it. That's why I wrote it. Because for me, I remember that time feeling like, but wait, I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And I feel very empty, you know, and I feel um, I feel like I am not truly walking in my purpose the way I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm asking for permission Instead of taking what's mine, instead of walking in my light. And, and and I don't care how you feel about it. And, you know, in that moment, I was like angry with myself. I was upset with myself that I let other people um, put me in a box and I stayed there. And I let them tell me who I was, even though I knew it wasn't true. But I played along feeling like, well, I need to take care of my son. It's fine. I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll take the gig. I need the money, you know, as opposed to no, have faith, trust God. And granted, everything's a process. So maybe I needed to experience that so I could experience this. But in that moment, I was sitting there writing a song so angry. And I was just like, I am done playing small. I am done making y'all think I'm somebody that I'm not. I'm done making you think that I could even stomach fitting inside your box. Like I, I won't do it. I won't ever do it. I can't. I will never do it again. I'm sorry for ever making you think. <laughs> That 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 I that I would go for that 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 was okay for you to do to me and for me to do to myself. It's never going to happen again. Every queen has that story. Every every single one of the people that I respect, all these beautiful, incredible women of color who are standing in their power, they have that as their backstory because we wouldn't know until we fell victim to that. And we've all done it. The shouldas. You should, you should, you should, you should take that job. That's a good job to take. We've all done it. And yeah. it's painful, but we survived it. And now we're thriving, <laughs> right? You have to. Yeah. You have yeah. to. Because it is ugly. It's not, and I, I, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier about children not standing in their power. Mm. Well, that's, that's by design. Just living in this world, we're being told every single day, we don't matter. We're not good enough. We're not pretty enough. We're not smart enough. And by forces that have nothing to do with us. So to get to a point, and that's what you're teaching your son from the get, he's not going to have to go find it. It's, it's, it's being ingrained in him from such a young age. And the same with my daughter. We ain't playing that. I'm not right. having my daughter be 20. Like I might not love myself. Fuck that. So because we know better, we do better, right? We have cut it off at the past. I love that you're going and speaking to kids 
What do you wish kids knew from the inner city or even doesn't even have to be the inner city? What do you wish they knew about themselves? I wish they knew their potential. I wish they knew how important that inner voice is and that inner conversation and how much it steers your reality. I wish they knew that they were the creators of their reality. My grandmother used to say, no one can ride your back unless you bend over. (laughs) And she was basically, (laughs) you know, saying like, you are creating the design. You're the architect. And because we don't know we're the architect, we give away the tools to our our creation and our design. We give it to someone else. Design me. You know, it's it's interesting that I was talking to a group of of young women like two weeks ago about what is self-esteem. And everyone said, it's what other people say about you. I said, it's interesting that we call it self-esteem though, right? And it's created by other people. Oh, well, if people tell you that you're pretty, then you'll have good self-esteem, but how? And and someone can tell you that you're pretty. And if you don't feel pretty on the inside, you don't, you don't, you can't get self-esteem from someone else. It has to be something that you build within. It has to, to match the conversation that you're having with yourself, that subconscious and conscious connection they have to be aligned. And I do, you know, workshops with them where I have them write, what is your, what is the subconscious narrative that's playing? There's a tape playing all the time. And all it's repeating the something. time, girl. Yeah. So what's the tape? And now let's, let's, um, you know, sit and consciously dissect it. Is it the truth? Where did it come from? When's the first time you heard someone say that? Do you want it to be your truth? Okay, so then what is the truth? We're going to rewrite the truth. Now we're going to turn that into a positive affirmation. Now we're going to turn that into a song. Now this is your morning mantra. And so we're going to keep repeating this until we rewrite the tape. Back in the day when you put the tissue in the tape and you rewrite, that's what we're going to do. We're going to rewrite that narrative because it didn't even come from you. You know, you're replaying a tape from someone who didn't know themselves. They didn't know how to love themselves let alone love you. So we're going to have to release that. But if we don't ever confront it, And we act like it's not there, then it's controlling our lives. So I talk to them a lot about just how much power we have that we give away. Moo moo, fresh. (laughs) I mean, because that's that's it. I mean, that's that's the beginning of building a society, a, a community that's strong and powerful and and impenetrable to a certain degree. We are our mothers and our children are us. And that that connection will never be broken. That's why we need to fix it when it's toxic. I have one more question, and this is about your son. You're raising a black son in America, age 15. What do you tell him about navigating this world that keeps him confident, that keeps him feeling strong so that fear isn't at the forefront? I'm glad you said that, that fear is not at the forefront because I think that is really important, right? So if we believe that we are the masters of our destiny, that our thoughts are powerful, that we're creating our reality, then it's important that we don't push our fear on our kids. Yes, we live in a violent society and it is dangerous, but I don't, I do think you can call energy to yourself, right? So for him, you know, I'm, I keep it 1000 with him about everything, but I'm also kind of like, I even told him one time, cause I felt like I was so afraid about him taking a particular route back home from school, but I didn't want to stop him from going to a place he wanted to go that I felt like was, you know, was a great place for him and some other young boys. I felt like it was going to be a, you know, a, a good time and a good community, a good circle to be around. And I said, you know, 
I love you. And sometimes I'm afraid for you, but I don't want you to allow my fear to cripple you because you have to grow. You got to have your own experiences. And when I was your age, I was all over the city. You know, the city's not more violent now than it was then. I want you to be smart, though. You know, and we we go over. Keep your head on the swivel. Don't be looking at your phone when you get off the train. Know where you're going before you get there. And I tell them, cover yourself with light. See it in your mind. Surround your body in light. The angels have their covering. And I'm always praying for you. I'm always praying that, and I'm visualizing that the angels covering your left and your right and your front and your back. And you need to walk like that. Don't spend time looking around, seeing what people are doing. You know where you're going to go when you get off the train. Get off there and walk straight. Don't even be seen. You know, because on, on the, the mystic side of my family, you know, we believe in dancing between the raindrops. We believe that you don't have to be seen if you don't want to be seen. But that's a different level of consciousness, right? We're talking about something different. So you might tell somebody something that they say, what the hell are you saying? I'm saying that my people are shapeshifters. You know, I believe I believe in that. I believe in the power of thought. And so I'm like, keep your, keep your thoughts pure. Keep your mind pure. Keep your heart pure. You know, focus on what you're doing and see yourself there. Right. When you find yourself in a situation that you don't want to be at, see yourself on the, in the end result and don't let no doubt come into your mind. And that's how you that's how you move through time and space. I can't give you the the fear spill of if this happens, call the cops or if that happens, you know, put your hands up or I mean, that that's what it is in that in that reality, in that realm and that those situations. But I'm going to try to talk to you before that ever happens. Like what I'm going to talk to you about is going to be before that ever happens, you know? And, you know, I think a mother's prayers are powerful. My mother still prays for me. She keeps my picture on her altar. She prays over my picture. She prays when I'm traveling. She covers me. And I know it. I know I've been in situations in different countries by myself where anything could have happened to me. And, you know, as my grandmother would say, God had a ram in the bush. <laughs> and, you know, because I grew up Muslim, right? I don't know. But I know all of my church phrases from my grandmother. She <laughs> said, God will have a ram in the bush, won't he? And I've had to, like, I've had guys try to kidnap me in a van. What? I'm, yes, I've been. Yes. And a car pulled up in front of the van and said, I'm, I'm your cousin's friend from such and such Dunbar High School. Get in a car. Never seen this man. Don't know where he came from. But God was watching me. You know what I'm saying? And so those are the moments where I just got to know, like, I'm covered. I'm covered. And I got to see it that way. I got to walk with that covering. You know what I mean? Like, they had plans for me, but God had other plans. And so I tell my son the same thing. Like, that's why we stay prayed up. You know, that's why we're visualizing. You're seeing things. And not to say that we can't get into crazy situations. Sometimes they happen. But I don't know. I just, I feel like a mother's prayers is powerful. You do everything that you can do. I'm going to do everything that I can do. And if it's outside of our power, then <laughs> ain't nothing we can do no how. There's nothing you can do. There's then, nothing uh, you can do. It is what it is. But um, I, I just don't want to teach him to walk in fear. I don't want him to have no fear. I don't want him to fear the police. I don't want him to fear no white men. I don't want, I don't want you to walk with that. I want you to walk in your kingship, you know, walk in the light, surround yourself with light. That, that's what I tell them. Yes. Ooh, I felt that. Thanks for hanging out, Mama. I know how little time we have in our day to honor ourselves, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Make sure you click like, rate, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about today's show and what you want to hear going forward. Remember, mommying is a gift, and you're doing a kick-ass job. So, Woosah 
and Mama Stay.